Okay, well, let me just uh, read a few more verses from this uh, lovely first chapter of uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Matthew, having uh, read through the difficult bit, he leads, leaves me uh, slightly easier portion, beginning at uh, verse 18. And maybe for some of us a more familiar passage, uh, because this is the part of the second chapter that we tend to read more when it comes to Christmas time. So Matthew chapter 2, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 1 rather, beginning at verse 18. And we read, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with a child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and she will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took home Mary uh, as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. Well, with Christmas, uh, Christmas quickly approaching, uh, there is a significant increase in the number of letters and parcels that are being delivered. And I feel... Uh, sorry for Wayne at this time of year, together with others who are involved in the parcel industry about all the amount of work they have to do delivering all these parcels that have been ordered. But of course, with an increase in these parcels being delivered, there is also an increase in criminal activity. Those who see it as an opportunity to take advantage of all the various uh, deliveries. A neighbour of ours um, recently became the victim of, uh, of um, such criminal activity when he had a parcel uh, ordered and delivered to his doorstep. Uh, but when the neighbour returned home, uh, there had been nobody at the house to receive the parcel and the parcel was left on the doorstep. When the neighbour came home, the parcel had gone. And uh, when he looked on his CCTV camera outside the house, he noted that the parcel had indeed been delivered, if you call it that, it had been plonked on the doorstep. But a few minutes later, a hooded figure appeared and snatched the parcel from the doorstep and off he went. Now the delivery company said, well, we delivered the parcel, we left it on your doorstep. That's hardly 
in a lot of people's uh, estimation, are uh, a proper delivery. And uh, but needless to say, my neighbour decided to change his delivery company, not to use that delivery company again. It had been an expensive item that had been lost, and uh, so he changed the delivery company. But it does raise a, an important question for us this morning as to who can we trust when it comes to delivering something of great value? Who would we trust when it comes to delivering something of, uh, of great value? Now in the Gospel writings, the responsibility is given to Matthew and Luke to deliver the historic uh, account of uh, the birth of Jesus. John, of course, gives a spiritual perspective. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Theos Analogos, and God was the Word. But here, Matthew and Luke are giving the, give the historic accounts of the birth of Jesus. Good news that will bring great joy to all the people. A message precious, a message life transforming beyond words. And yet, as we begin these early verses of Matthew's gospel from the genealogy, we are amazed at the grace of God in the channels that God uses in order to bring the glorious message and to bring the Christ into our world. Matthew's Gospel, of course, was written from a Jewish perspective, written to a Jewish audience in order to prove the lineage of uh, David, uh, proving that Jesus was indeed of the lineage of David and was, uh, was the Christ that was to come, and indeed the Old Testament prophecies. And, and Matthew does that throughout his Gospel. Um, it's... Um, and yet Matthew himself is an unusual and, and a highly controversial figure um, in order to bring this message to the people and to the Jews. And uh, because during Jesus' lifetime, we find that the Romans occupying the land of Israel, they inflicted oppressive um, taxes upon the people. There were two basic types of tax that the Romans inflicted upon the people. There was a, a poll tax, which was a bit like income tax. And then there was a, another tax, which was a ground tax. It's a bit like property tax. And so people were uh, taxed according to their income. They were taxed according to the possessions that they had, according to the properties that they owned. And uh, wealthy uh, senators and magistrates were able to buy at public auction the revenues of a certain country, including Israel, at a fixed price for a period of five years. And this gave these publicani, as they were called, the rights to exact the money, the taxes from the people, and take all the taxes from the people. And they would hire slaves and they would hire countrymen from that country. Um, these people were known as publicans to do the tax gathering, to do the dirty work, if you like, for these wealthy senators, these wealthy magistrates who would come together and a conglomeration of them and would then send out these slaves, these countrymen to do the 
work of gathering the taxes. Now the Jews would consider that these people, these individuals were traitors, uh, working for the Romans and gathering often not only their own taxes, the, the taxes for the senators, but actually gathering taxes, additional uh, revenue for themselves. Remember that Zacchaeus, a little man who was uh, climbed up a sycamore tree to find Jesus, he was one of those. Not only did he gather taxes on behalf of the uh, of the Romans, but he liked to line his own pocket. And when he uh, came to Christ and he accepted Jesus for himself, he gave it all back. He was willing to give it all back. He was one of those people. Now the, the, these tax gatherers, these publicans were were ranked with the, the, the very lowest of the low. They were ranked with the, the prostitutes. They were ranked with the highwaymen. They were ranked with the, the criminals. And one of these publicans was Matthew. We read about Matthew in Matthew 9 and from verse 9 we read, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he's told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having a dinner at Matthew's house, many of the tax collectors and sinners, those were the friends of Matthew, they came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does this your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, but go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What a wonderful statement that was. And this statement from Jesus, it allows us to understand and to make sense of these early verses of this chapter. As we read of the genealogy of Jesus, people say, what's the point of reading the genealogies? Let's begin later on. Let's not begin with the genealogy. That was for the, surely for the, for, for the Jews who understood genealogies and were interested in genealogies. It's not for us. But I tell you, we miss out if we do not begin at the beginning of these letters of these uh, Gospels. We miss out some important information, some glorious information and truths. And we certainly do that if we don't begin at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel with this genealogy. <clears throat> now, I don't know if you've seen the TV program. I expect most of you have at some point or other. Who do you think you are? And uh, it can be quite interesting sometimes. It features famous people tracing their ancestry. And it's interesting to note the pleasant surprises that people get, but also sometimes the great disappointments. So recently there was one where uh, one of the comedians was on and he discovered he was uh, related to royalty and it went back and back and back and back and back. And he discovered he was so royal it was ridiculous. You know, in terms of his genealogy, he was just uh, related to all these royal people, all these kings and queens, etc., etc. And it was, it was, he just smirked, he was just laughing. He said, wow, I'm just related to all these people. But there were two others that I particularly <clears throat> remember. 
going back a bit, and one was uh, Patsy Kensett. She was uh, uh, the actress Patsy Kensick, uh, and, and she looked with uh, trepidation into her genealogy, into her history, into her family tree, because her father, Jimmy Ken Kensett, had been a notorious uh, criminal associated with the uh, ganglands and with the Crays and with the Richardsons. And also her grandfather also had been a, a notable criminal. And so she was looking with trepidation, thinking, I wonder who else is back there in my genealogy. And she went back and back. But the wonderful thing was that she came across one person who, who was different from that. He was a, a remarkable vicar who dedicated his life to helping the poor. He did a tremendous amount of work, and this was one of uh, Patsy Kensett's uh, um, forefathers and he did a, a godly man, uh, a caring man and a, a man who gave his life to helping the poor. Also remember the, uh, the, the account of, uh, of Lenny Henry and sort of looking into his uh, genealogy and uh, it, it came as a tremendous shock to him that he discovered that way back in his genealogy, way back in his family tree, there were, in fact, uh, those who were slave traders. And he was amazed at this, and he was greatly saddened by this, because, of course, Lenny Henry would uh, not want to be associated with slave traders or with anybody like that. And yet he discovered that there were those in his family, those in his family tree, that were in fact involved in, uh, in buying and selling slaves and having slaves. Now God promised King David through the prophet Nathan that he would send a great king who would reign and establish an eternal kingdom. There in 2 Samuel in chapter 7 from verse 12 we read, When your days are over and you rest, speaking to David uh, with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom and he is the one who will build my, a house for my name. Initially, of course, he's talking about Solomon, the son of David, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and I will be uh, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men and floggings afflicted by human hands. Again, he's talking about Solomon here. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So this was a promise of the eternal kingdom. It was a promise not fulfilled in Solomon, but fulfilled later, of course, in the coming of, of Jesus. Jesus has established his eternal kingdom. Jesus is the eternal king right now. We're not having to wait for him to return. The second coming, he's already the king who reigns. He reigns from heaven now. He will reign. He will return. He will reign on earth, but he's already the king. He's already, it's already his eternal kingdom, and you and I are in that eternal kingdom, and uh, nothing will ever uh, change that glorious fact. Now, Matthew begins his genealogy with uh, Jesus and, and the purpose of showing that Jesus is, uh, 
is of the royal lineage of David and that he meets all the criteria for being the Messiah. Matthew traces the genealogy through Joseph because Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, of course, but he was the legal father of Jesus. So Matthew traces the lineage through Joseph's side. Luke, on the other hand, if you look at Luke's gospel, you find that Luke traces the line, the lineage through Mary, showing the bloodline of, uh, of Jesus, because Jesus was born of Mary. Jesus was born uh, of, uh, of the bloodline of Mary. And, 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 and so those are the reasons for the two different uh, sets of genealogies uh, there. Now, the Jews, of course, were proud of, of their genealogies. They were proud of, uh, of who they were, proud of their pedigrees. They were divided into families, divided into, uh, divided into tribes, receding, receiving designated lands when they entered the land of Canaan. The Jewish historian Josephus talks about the, um, the, the, the fact that in, the, in his day, the Jews would carry highly detailed uh, records of their, of their ancestry, highly valued records of their ancestors, because it was so important for them to, uh, to, uh, to, to be of, of, uh, of the Jewish ancestry of, of the various uh, tribes. And of course, before uh, Paul was converted, he, he too had greatly prized his own heritage. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, born uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, and he tells us that in the Philippian letter. And, uh, and so again, the Jews were considered these things really precious, really important. The genealogies were really important to them. It's interesting to note that... Uh, when the when Jerusalem temple was destroyed by the by the Romans in AD 70 all the ancestral records in respect to the royal lineage were destroyed and there is no way today that any Jew could prove royal lineage so those who are still supposed looking for the coming of the Messiah today they would not be able to prove the royal lineage because all those records were destroyed when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in, in, in AD 70. Now when you think of Jesus and you think of God's own son, you would expect the genealogy to be absolutely perfect. You'd expect the forefathers to uh, live safety lives, but you know when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, just like those people and the, the, the those people that we were talking about earlier, they, when you come to the genealogy, you find that some shocks, because it, it, it's not as perfect, it's not as pure. The the lineage doesn't have uh, perfect people in that lineage. It has all sorts of of people. We read, for example, of uh, of Judah, the father of Perez, whose mother was Tamar. Now, uh, Tamar was a, a Canaanite, uh, the Canaanite daughter-in-law of, uh, of Judah. And uh, God had uh, taken the life of her husband, Ur, and also the next uh, husband, because in those days, if an older brother died, then it was the responsibility of the next brother to, take, to marry the, the woman and to 
raise up children for the for his brother so this lady tamar this canaanite woman she had had Ur, the first uh, uh, the son of of judah and uh, and then she was also when he died she was given the second son which was onan now onan also died and the reason we're told that these two men died was because they were wicked but god actually killed these two men and so here was Tamar. She'd married these two men and neither of them had left her with any children. And, and, but there was a third son and the third son was Sheila. And so Judah said to her, the father-in-law, he said, well, when, Judah's old, when Sheila's old enough, I'll, I'll let him become your, your husband and, and he'll raise up uh, children for, 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 your, your, um, for your brother. But as time went on, Judah became less likely to give Sheila over to Tamar. And the reason was, I think he was worried that the same thing would happen to the third son as happened to the, the first two sons. So he didn't, he didn't give Tamar the third son and he kept him back. And uh, Tamar waited and waited and waited. And she realized that she was never going to get the, the third son to marry her. And so she did something that was not good and not right and not proper. And uh, we would describe clearly as sinful. But she dressed up as a prostitute and she went down to a certain place. And she waited there. And Judah, her father-in-law, came down. But she was dressed up to, with all this, uh, these garments on. And he, tried, he, he bought her favours. And he went in and he had a relationship with her. And he said, what shall I give you? And, he, and she said, well, give me your staff in, 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 uh, in security. Uh, and, and then later on, you know, you can, you can give me what you would normally give, which apparently was a goat. Um, but uh, so Judah, he, he went in and he had this relationship with her. And then he left and he sent the, the goat. Uh, but she wasn't there by then. Later on, this Judah discovers that Tamar has uh, is pregnant, and uh, and uh, the people say, "Oh, she's prostituted herself." And Judah said, "Well, let bring her out. We're going to burn her. We're going to burn her." And so they bring this lady Tamar out to be burnt, and she says, "But give these tokens to Judah, to and ask him who they are." And when Judah realizes that it he was the father of these these children. Then he 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 of course changes his his attitude. But the out of this relationship, this this wrong relationship, there were born twins, Perez and Zerah. And you can read the story in Genesis chapter thirty-eight. But despite God's revulsion at the behaviour of Judah, he forgives, and he restores, and he uses. Judah and he uses Tamar and he even uses that relationship and, and, and Perez, one of the sons out of that relationship, it becomes part of the family line. And that, that is totally amazing for me and I'm, I'm sure it is for you that, we, that God would actually do that, that God would actually use Perez, this son of this relationship, as part of the family line. Then we read another one, Salmon. We read of Salmon, whose wife was Rahab. And they had a son called Boaz. Now, now Rahab was also a prostitute. 
Rahab was a prostitute, a Gentile prostitute, in the Canaan city of Jericho. And when the when the the, Jew, when the Jewish the Israeli spies came to the city to check out the city, she recognised that you can't defeat the Jew, the, the Israeli army. And uh, I wish a few more people would realise that today. You can't defeat the Israeli army. And so she said, "Well, I'm going to join them." Now, there's a wise woman, isn't it? She said, "I'm going to I'm going to join them. You're never going to beat this lot." So she said, "So as she." Uh, she gives them uh, sanctuary, these uh, Israeli spies. And when they leave, she says, remember what I've done for you and, uh, and give a sanctuary. When you attack the city and when, and when you, you take the city, remember me, remember my family. And of course, the Israeli spies do that. And when, when they go into the city, when they take the city, the Israeli spies go and they bring out those, those, the, Rahab, they bring out her family and Rahab is, is saved together with, with all her family. It's a, it's a lovely story there. But um, Rahab was a prostitute. But she marries Salmon. And they have Boaz. And, and, and out of that, difficult relationship and out of that bad past and out of those mistakes that this woman has made and out of the fact that she's a she's an outcast in respect to to to, to being Israel she's not Jewish she's not an, an Israelite just as Tamar was not a, an Israelite despite all of that God uses that relationship God uses that uh, that woman God uses Salmon to bring about uh, Boaz the, the son of and Boaz is part of the family tree. Now then we read about Boaz, the wife of, sorry, the husband of Ruth. Uh, now Ruth, again, was not Jewish. She was not an Israelite. She, she was, she, she was uh, uh, of, a, of a different clan altogether. She was a Moabite. And, and, and the Moabites were the result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters. Uh, the two daughters, there were no men around and they wanted children. And so one night they got their, their, their father drunk and they went into him and they, they both became pregnant. And out of that incestuous relationship, they became one of the, the sons. The son of the oldest daughter was Moab. And out of the clan that he formed was the... Moabites. Now the Israelite man who married a, um, a Gentile, who married a, a Moabite daughter, would be in violation of the strict code in Israel. Uh, and yet Ruth had no right to uh, any sort of, any, she had no right in Israel whatsoever. Her, her husband, who had married her he died and she was left on her own and yet God uses this woman and you can read again of the lovely relationship between Ruth and Boaz it's a it's a lovely love story there uh, Boaz was was much older and uh, and yet uh, and yet they they come together and and they 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 marry and out of that relationship comes Obed and again, I remind you that this was a, a woman who was an outcast. This was a woman who had married into uh, the family of Israel that should never have happened. It was against the uh, violation of the strict codes in Israel. And yet, 
in spite of that, out of that relationship come Obed, and Obed is part of the genealogy of Jesus. And then in verse 6 we read that David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And God never let David forget the fact that Bathsheba had been Uriah's wife. One day David, instead of going to war, he remained at home. He decided to take a break. He was walking on the roof of his uh, palace. He looked down this one night and he saw this beautiful woman bathing. He, he got them to go and get her. He had a relationship with her. She was, became pregnant. But her husband was away uh, fighting on behalf of the Israeli army. David calls him back, sends him home to have a relationship with his wife so that he could make out that the baby was, going to, was actually Uriah's, but he doesn't go home. He stays with the Israeli army. And David's in a fix, and in the end he decides to have Uriah killed. And he calls Joab, and Joab, he says to Joab, put Uriah at the front of the battle, and then withdraw the troops from him. Let him be the one out there. Let him get killed. And that's what happened. And uh, Uriah, great soldier, great uh, servant of, uh, of Israel, standing at the front of the battle, and all the other troops are withdrawn. He's left there to die. And uh, God is so angry with David. God is so disappointed with his servant for, for doing that, for behaving like that. And the, the baby that is born of that relationship dies. Uh, even though David prayed very earnestly for the baby, the baby dies. But the next son, Solomon, God actually uses Solomon as part of the family tree. He actually uses this relationship between David and Bathsheba to bring Solomon into the world, who would then be part of the genealogy of, of Jesus. Now, aren't you amazed at that? I, I know I'm amazed at that. When I look at this, I, I, I see all these people that are, that, that are not perfect. I, I see all these people who are outcasts. I, I see all these people who are no-hopers. I see all these people who make mistakes, who have bad relationships, who do things that you could just, you know, sort of think, wow, you know, what a terrible thing for those people to do. And yet God uses these people. God uses these people in order to... Bring Jesus into our world. There were also wicked men. You know, we haven't got time to go on about all the wicked men that there were. There was Ahab and Ahaz and Ammon. People like that. Men who lived godless, sinful, rebellious lives. Men who never repented. Men who never turned to God. Never turned for forgiveness. Yet none of that could thwart the plans and purposes of God. None of those things that bad men were doing could derail the plans and purposes of God because God was in control of all those situations and man could not destroy the messianic line because it was God's plan and God's purpose and you can't thwart God's plan and God's purpose. Now throughout history God has taken and used people who you thought had blown it. People like People like me, perhaps you would feel that way. People like you, people who had blown it. People who thought there was no chance for them. People who thought that, you know, God picks and God uses good men. People without mistakes, 
Pe people who don't keep falling down on their face and need to be got up again. And yet God delights in doing that. God delights in taking people who are not perfect and using them for his purpose. He delights in, in picking up and restoring and using the down and outs, the outcasts. When Jesus came into our world, he came as the, the shepherd king. He came seeking the lost just as he went to that party with Matthew and his friends. I wonder if any of the other disciples their mum said, you're not going to that party. Oh, no, you stay away from that lot. You know, mama told me not to come. But Jesus went. And Jesus went and he, 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 he associated with those people, saying it's a sick that need a physician, not the healthy. He says it, he did not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Jews, they would, they would reject him, despite all the evidence that Matthew gives in his gospel and other evidence so meticulously presented. They would reject the Christ. But on the highways and the byways, he would find people who needed and wanted him. Matthew 21, at the end of Jesus' life and Reaching the end of his ministry, he said to them, Truly, truly, I tell to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's talking to the Jews here. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent to believe him. Oh, Matthew was so thrilled to be able to write those words. So thrilled to be able to say, yes, even me, even me, even a tax collector, even a rebel, the, 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 the Jews hate me, the Jews had, you know, had uh, written me off, but Jesus didn't write me off. And my friends, the world had written off, but Jesus didn't write them off either. He came and he came and drank and ate with us and told us about the kingdom of God and gave us an opportunity to accept him as Saviour and Lord. Now, what are the lessons, because time's going this morning, what are the lessons that we can learn from these early verses in this genealogy of Matthew? Well, perhaps the first is that uh, there is genuine and logic proof for the Messiah. People say, you know, that you, you can't prove that Jesus is a, is, is a son of God. I mean, where's your proof? What makes you think that, that he wasn't just another of those claiming to be the Messiah? Well, Matthew gives us a proof. He gives us a proof in the, in the genealogy meticulously written down. He gives us a proof in the prophecies meticulously fulfilled by Jesus himself. He gives us all the proof that you will ever need. Uh, I, you, you can read books of men who decided that they were going to explore the gospel in order in order to, um, to disprove it. And you've got, there are several books out there, and they started out, these men, and they wanted to disprove the Bible, and they began, and as they began, they realized that they couldn't disprove the Bible, they couldn't disprove Christ as being the Savior, because it was all written down, it was all meticulously presented, and they couldn't find any fault in it. So the first thing that we discovered as we approached Christmas is this is a genuine Story. This is a genuine saviour. This is the saviour of the world. This is the king of Israel. This is the coming king who's going to return one day. And the proof is there. Amen. 
Secondly, we may find that, that no failure and no rebellion can thwart the plans and purposes of God. You know, there's a world out there shaking their fist towards heaven and saying, we don't want you. And, uh, you know, we're going to do everything in our power to, uh, to do away with Christianity. We're going to do everything in our power to shut the mouths of the preachers, to stop preachers presenting the gospel, to stop Christian counselors counseling those who need help. We're going to do everything in our power to stop it. We're powerful. We've got the, the government behind us, they like to tell us. But I want to say this morning that none of those things will ever thwart the plans and purposes of God. You can shake your fist towards heaven as much as you like. You can be as devious as you like. You can gather around yourself as many so-called people who will uh, agree with your position, but you, one with God is a majority, and you will never thwart the plans and purposes of God. And I know that some of us right now, we're going through difficult times, and we're seeing people around us, and we're seeing people in authority, and they seem to be in control, and they seem to be threatening, and they seem to be having all the victory. But I want to say that nothing thwarts the plans and purposes of God. Yeah, we need to do what we can, and we need to play our part, yeah. but the plans and purposes of God continue irrespective of that fist waving towards heaven. And then thirdly and finally, no messing up is a reason for helplessness or hopelessness. Whatever your background, whatever the mistakes you've made, Whatever, however hopeless you feel, however much the world has written you off, I want to tell you today that the Saviour who came to this world is a Saviour who loves you, the Saviour who died for you, the Saviour who invites you, the Saviour who said it's the sick that need a physician, not the healthy, and I've come for the sick. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Amen. Let's just pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again this morning. We thank you for this genealogy of Jesus which teaches us so much. We thank you that you are in control of life. You are in control of history. You are in control of the world's destiny. We thank you for Heavenly Father for sending Jesus into our world. We thank you that nothing could thwart the plans and purposes of God. We thank you that Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of the Father in glory, in power and in authority. And we look forward to that day when he returns. Until that day, help us to celebrate Christmas. Help us to glory in the Christ child. Help us to glory in a babe that was born in Bethlehem, born to live, born to show us what God is like, born to die upon that cross, born as the Lamb of God. It would take away the sins of the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.